open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through the book of 1 Peter. Last week, we got the bad news. We got good news, but we ended with bad news, at least. The bad news is that some people will not come to Christ, and they will die in their sins. This week, we get the good news. And I, I want to tell you a story that's going to relate to this. So there's this guy that went out on surfing. He loves surfing. He went to Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, and he was out there. He, the waves were huge. And he comes in, and the, everyone runs up to him, and they said, Are you okay? Are you okay? He said, Yeah. I mean, the waves were, were big, but I've been doing this all my life. I know. I can handle it. And they said, No, no, you don't understand. There was a school of sharks 10 feet from you. When you were out there and we were trying to yell to you, you couldn't hear. You see, they, he knew he was safe, but the safety felt so much sweeter once he realized the danger that he was in prior to it. Well, last week we heard the danger. The danger is from verse 8, they stumble because they, they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Anyone who disobeys the word, the destination for them is hell who do apart from Christ. That's the bad news. But once we hear that, when we get to this new, this next verse, this, this but you, it seems it's so much sweeter to the taste. We're going to see three things in our text of what, who we are. We're going to see that we are picked to proclaim. We're not just chosen to, to, to be his and come to church on Sunday, but we're here to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know. Also, we're to be, remain holy. We're abstaining aliens. This is not our home. This is not the end result. The end result is heaven, to be with Jesus for all of eternity. And finally, we're going to see that we are to remain exemplar, exemplary examples. We are to keep our conduct holy among those out there. Specifically, what's happening in, in our text is Paul, Peter is writing to a group of people who are making claims about these Christians, false claims. And so this is where we get that famous line that, that we are to, that, that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God who is in heaven. That is why we are to remain holy. The title of our sermon this, this morning is The Chosen Family. And our main idea is we are called as God's people for the purpose of showing his glory to the world. We are called as God's people for the purpose of showing his glory to the world. Stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 9, I'll be reading through verse 12. It's not going to be up there. That's okay. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you, have re- uh, but now you are God's people. Once you have received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God that comes before us and that has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you are the God who, is, who has redeemed us from death, who has saved us from ourselves and saved us from the sin that plagues our lives. Father, I pray that you, as we open your word, as we, this word is preached, that it would be for your glory, that you would open the ears of those who need to hear that maybe there would be someone in this room that comes to you for the first time. Or that we would see our sin and that we would repent and come to you. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. Now, as I alluded to earlier, the verse 9 starts with the best three-letter word in all the Bible. Second best besides God. But... But is the contrast of the destination of those who are receiving damnation. It says, this cornerstone, just getting into the context, this cornerstone who is Christ Jesus, who is being, everyone is being built upon, the, the kingdom of God is being grown upon this foundation, this, this cornerstone of Christ Jesus. He will either be the cornerstone which we're measured by, what we learned last week, or he will be the cornerstone which we stumble upon. It says they stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But, but you. So he goes back out of the, the, those who we saw last week who were to the contrary, those who had rejected him, those who were persecuting the church in that day, back to the Christian, the saved. And it's amazing what he does. So four different things he uses to, to identify these Gentile believers scattered throughout modern day Turkey. And he, he gives them four Things, four titles, four names that were only ever given to Israel. And so in this, Peter is showing us that this is to God's people. First thing he says, you are a chosen race. The word here is genos. It means you're literally family. That's why I got the, my title, the chosen family. You are a chosen family, a chosen kin. The, the chosen here connects us back to verse 4. Look in your Bibles if you have it open. Verse 4 says that Christ is the chosen cornerstone, and you are the chosen family. I want you to see that we are completely identified with Christ because of who he is. He's the living stone. We are as living stones. He is the chosen cornerstone. We are the chosen family. For the second one, he goes on. He says, in, he is a royal priesthood. Now, the only true royal priest is Jesus. We are royal priesthoods after the line of Melchizedek, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, because of Christ was the royal priesthood. But th this was actually a promise given in Deuteronomy to all of Israel, that if you do this, you will be to God as a royal priesthood. Well, the Old Testament, it was, it was dependent upon their obedience. In the New Testament, there's no dependence here, except on Christ. It says, but you are chosen race, a royal priesthood. You don't have to do anything except come to Jesus and make him the cornerstone of your life. And when you do, he becomes you become identified with him as a royal priesthood. Third thing, a holy nation. A holy nation, an, an ethnos, an ethnicity that is set apart. I want you to think back to the Old Testament. The people of Israel were, who, what ethnicity were they? We don't really know. God came to Abraham and said, leave your 
country, tribe, and nation and go to this land that I am preparing for you. So he is making for himself a nation of his own. We are the culmination of that. And that's what Peter is encouraging these, these downtrodden Christians with. And finally, a people for his own possession. There's your reason why. You are a people that is specifically given, specifically given to God for the sake of his glory. I'm going to look, turn in Isaiah 43. I'm going to be looking at verses 19 to 21 that tell, gives us this, this hope, the same, the same wordings that points us forward to Christ. Isaiah 43, starting in verse 19, says this. Behold, I am doing a new thing. So now he, this is the prophet Isaiah, God speaking to the prophet Isaiah, speaking of how this new covenant is going to come about, what it's going to look like. Now it springs forth... Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I get to give drink to who? My chosen people. Same word in the, in the Greek version of the Old Testament here is genos, my chosen people. Family, gain us, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praises. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the, in the, the us, the, the people in the desert, people in the wilderness, that's not his people. The outside of his covenant people, outside of his covenant land. He's talking about these people that are outside of the covenant. He's saying in those places, in the wilderness, in the desert, in this place of death. Believe me, I know about the desert. I grew up in Phoenix. There's nothing but death everywhere. In there, I will bring water. Well, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? If you only knew the gift of God, who it was that saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, this is God through Isaiah saying that I'm going to be bringing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into my family and they will be called my chosen people, the people whom I formed, he says, for myself that they might declare my praises. So we're going to see in just a moment that, that the exact same purpose that he said that Isaiah is giving of why he's bringing these people, these jackals and these ostriches. No offense, that's us. We're the Gentiles. That's us being brought into the covenant according to this text. We're going to see exactly the exact same purpose that we are formed, we are made, we are brought forth. Why? To proclaim his praises. One more verse I want to look to. Uh, Miss Dolores already read, read most of it, but I'm going to read a few verses from it. Exodus 19 says this. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt to, to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession, that sounds familiar, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, now that sounds familiar, and a holy nation. Another familiarity, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, I said it earlier, but I want you to notice, this is dependent in the book of Exodus, 
In the book of Exodus, they had to keep the covenant. They, God said, you, he gave the Ten Commandments and gave the, all the others that, that, I don't have a number in my head, but all the others that were, were identifying what these Ten Commandments were, they were, were breaking down these Ten Commandments and said, you keep these and this is what you'll be. With the New Testament, with the New Covenant, he doesn't say that. He says that because of what Christ has done, this is who you are. You are my people. And I want you to see that. Where Israel failed because of sin, the church was victorious because of Christ's sinless perfection. And our identification with Christ in that. Your chosen race. Your royal priesthood. Now, now the, when we actually studied the priesthood in, in Sunday school this morning, which I would encourage everyone to start coming to, but in, we talked about what happened. So Aaron, had, while Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron had failed. We all know the story of the golden calf. Well, he took all, this, all the gold that they would gotten from God, from the Egyptians, and made it into this golden calf, this idol, which literally broke the first two commandments. And he, as he was forming them, he, he, Moses came down, he was furious, and God was going to destroy him, and Moses interceded. But then, a few chapters later, we were in Exodus 40, in Exodus 40, God tells Moses to use Aaron and his people, children. How in the world could God use Aaron, this one who had committed such atrocious sins, literally formed an idol that they could bow down and worship to? Well, he used them because he had no other choice. He could only use sinful people. God uses sinful people because there's no other kind of people. And I want you to see that. He, he, he calls us, he called Aaron, and, and Moses told Aaron to anoint them. To put on holy robes and to, to cover them and make them see, look as holy. Well, what Jesus did to us is he put on the robes of righteousness so that we would not only look holy, but that we would be holy. We would be covered. Now, we'll continue. I, I told you we'd get to the same purpose. That you may proclaim. We're in, back in 1 Peter chapter 2. That you may proclaim. Now this is the only time in all the New Testament that this word is used. Ex angelo. So you would be his messengers abroad is literally what it means. You'd be his angelos. That's an angel. You would be the angels, the messengers that are sent abroad to who the, the, the people would see Christ. The excellencies. You would proclaim what? The excellencies of him Who's called you out of darkness, sin, hell, death, into a marvelous light. You've been called into life. You've been given the gospel that you can proclaim it. You were not just saved so that we can go about our normal life. You were not just saved so that we can go about living within our flesh, living in the sins that we all, all once loved. But you were saved so that you could point to Jesus. That's what this is telling you. He, he rephrases it again, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So once, we can just use the people in this room. Once the people in this room had no identification with one another, outside those of you who are family, which is most of you, but <laughs> there was no identification with, with one another that would bring you together. Now, because of what Christ has done, because of what God has done, you are God's people. 
That is our new family. We are called not just to be people that that see each other once a week and go about our lives and tolerate each other, but we are called to be God's people, bringing forth his goodness, his excellencies to the ends of the earth. It says again, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Bible says uh, right after Jesus said, right after he gave the the, mercy, the apostles' prayer, the, the example prayer, the Lord's prayer, whatever you want to call it. He said, forgive others for, if you do not forgive others, they will not forgive you. Or I will not forgive you. For if you do not forgive others, I will not forgive you. So why do we, why do we give mercy? Why do we give forgiveness? Because the mercy and forgiveness we have received is greater than anything that bad that's ever been done to us. That's what the Bible tells us. There's nothing that you can do to me that I didn't do worse to God. And so whatever you do to me, I will forgive you because I have been forgiven by the great high priest who stood in my place. Second thing we're going to see is that we are not only picked, proclaimed, but we are also abstaining aliens. Verse 11 says, beloved, I urge you. This is strong language. I beseech you. I exhort you. As sojourners and exiles, this is connected back to the, all the way to verse one, where he tells verse one of chapter one, where he calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. Literally, he's saying, "You don't belong here. Yes, you're God's people, but this is not your home." I urge you, as as those who are are sojourners and exiles. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we're Americans, before we're Kentuckians, before we, we belong to Battletown, identify as Battletown, we identify with Christ. We identify as God's people. We, we, yes, we can be patriotic. Yes, we can love that you are from Battletown. You can love that you're an American. But you need to love that you belong to Jesus more than you love that. Because if we, if we cling to where we're from on this earth, Jesus said where your heart is, there your treasure is also. We belong to Christ. And I want you to see that. But we do this first. And we, we, he calls us... Sojourners and exiles for a purpose. Why? To abstain literally is to run from. Run away. Flee from the passions of your flesh. Literally fleshly lust. So these things, this is talking specifically here about sexual immorality. Now, two weeks ago, I believe it was, up in Canada, they passed a law that, and last week actually a lot of churches in the United States preached on sexual immorality. But they passed a law to, to be in consolidation with the churches in Canada. Because now, in Canada, who, by the way, is about 10 years ahead of us, so look for this in the next 10 years, they passed a law that you can no longer preach on sexual ethics in the church. Because if you do, it's considered conversion therapy. And you can, the pastor who preaches on it can spend up to five years in prison every time he does it. Now, the problem is, is it's right here in the text. By God's sovereign grace, if we hadn't had to cancel because I was sick, we would have preached on this last week. 
The same time when all these other churches were. We are to abstain from these, these fleshly lusts. What is that? Well, it's, it's homosexuality. It's, it's tra- transgenderism. It's sex before marriage. It's all of these things that we once would have said, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. We don't have a grounding. Now we're grounded in the scriptures. And if we're grounded in the scriptures, what we have to see is that we love God's law more than our own morals. Where do we get our morals? From the scriptures doesn't matter what they do to us. People want to get as close as they can to the line without actually going over it. But the problem is the flesh is against and opposed to the spirit. The Bible says you will either be filled, uh, filled with wine or... I'm sorry, I'm quoting the wrong one. The Bible says that either you will be, you will be focused on the love of the flesh or focused on the love of the Spirit. Either you will, you will show the fruit of the Spirit or you will show the fruit of the flesh. Sin damages our relationship with God. And it's, it, not only do we do it for outsiders, but we're to flee from it because it damages our relationship with God. 1 John chapter 2 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not me being judgmental. That's the word of God. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride in possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Again, in Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he tells you, he tells you to flee Run from these fleshly passions that shouldn't even be in our lives anymore, except the fact that we still are in the flesh. We need to rely on the Spirit of God. How do we do that? We open our Bibles throughout the week and we read it. We come and we gather. We have four or five services a week now. We have Sunday morning Sunday school. We have this, this hour that we come. We have Tuesday. We dive into the deep things of theology. We, 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 we do it at 1 o'clock. Wednesday night prayer meeting. We're going through Revelation. Thursday, we, we go and we pray for an hour. Last, this past week is a sweet time, an hour and 20 minutes of just unleashing our hearts to God. We have times when we can gather and we can worship God. And that is how we, we fight this war. Literally, the text says, which wages war against your soul. That literally what this means is to strategize against your soul. The, the fleshly desires that it's talking about here, the, the perversions of the flesh, seek to strategize against your soul. If we get up to the line, as close as we can to that line of where we're not allowed to go, without passing it, nine times out of ten we go over it. Why is that? Because the flesh and the soul are at war. The, this text says to flee from it, to run from it. Far too often we blame the devil for situations that we put ourselves in. When we say, here's the line in the sand, I can go right here, but I'm not going to look over that way. I'm not going to go over this way. What are we doing? We're putting ourselves, intending ourselves with sin. It's not Satan doing that all the time. A lot of the times it's us. 
We are putting ourselves in stupid situations. Am I allowed to say stupid from the bulbit? I just did, so that's okay. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, That you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Once again, this language, if I was to tell you that, that would sound very judgmental, but God is, is calling a holy and distinct people. He's calling us out of the world so that we can live and point to his glory. The final thing we're going to see, we're, we're abstaining aliens, but also we're called to be an exemplary example. Now, this is the opening verse for the next three sermons that we're going to be looking at of submission. We're to submit to authority. We're to submit to, uh, to, to in your jobs. You submit to the government. And you should submit to your wives to your husband. Are the three areas we're going to see over the next three weeks. And why do we do that? And why are we called to do this? Look at this verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you and slander you, as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This is once again the, the, among the Gentiles, ethnos. We, we saw earlier in, in the, the sermon that ethnos was the same word that was used in the verse 8 or verse 9. When we are a chosen, can't get this to move, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, a holy nation. We're a holy nation, and we're called to live among a Gentile nation. Keep your, keep your conduct as those completely set, separated as a holy nation among the Gentile nation. Keep it honorable. 2 Corinthians verse 5, starting verse 16, says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Long text. What, what, why did I read all that? One, you're a new creature when you come to Christ. You no longer have the same desires. You no longer have the same motives. You no longer have the same love. All, all of it, everything is changed. The old has died, it says. And we've also been given a new job. Did you see it? We're ambassadors for Christ. Our text said that we may proclaim his excellencies. Right? We, we, we are called to be separate. Why? So that, notice this isn't a, a um, maybe this will happen. Notice this is, this is not a, a what if statement. But so that when they slander you is the original language. It's a when, not if. 
you as evildoers, when they slander where, where, where they receiving? Well, what slander were they receiving? They were being told that they were, uh, they were uh, cannibals. Because they, why? Because they heard that these people were eat, eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ. They were cannibals. They thought that they were sexually immoral. Why? Because they were so focused on fellowship and gathering together. These, the Gentile world looked in and said, oh, they're just having big parties. They, they were being slandered on every last thing. Where are we slandered today? Said, you're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're a racist. Is any of that true? I, hope, I sure hope not. But what we should be saying, they should see in us, is that we do not accept the sin. We do not accept the sin. We can love the person who does it. I have counseled numerous people who were transgendered when I worked in the prisons. I can be around them and I can love them and I can counsel with them without accepting their lifestyle, without condoning it. You see, even today, just like in that day, they're going to look in at our lives and say, you are wrong. Bernie Sanders famously said a few years ago that when he was, when, I believe it was Neil Gorsuch, when, he, when Neil Gorsuch was going, before the, uh, going forward for the Supreme Court, he asked him, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? He said, well, yes, that's what my, my faith says. He says, well, then you have no business in government because you're a terrible person. Why? Because in that, you, we are claiming that every single other way is wrong. Every other way is wrong. Every other way is, is sending people to hell. And so the world looks in and says, what an evil person. We have to cling to who God is. What do your deeds say about your Lord? What does how you act, how you do, what you, the things that you do say about the God you serve? See, you, your works are not what saves you, but they are a witness to the world about your God. Shortly after I was saved, uh, about a year after I was saved, I was, I was on fire for Christ. I was seeking to learn and seeking to, to read his word and seeking to live for him. And the person that actually helped lead me to Christ came to me and, and who was living in sin at the time, came to me and said, why are you doing this, Jensen? Why are you acting so different? Why are you acting so weird? Me and this guy that I'm living with, we're both saved. He's a Christian. I said, I'm not going to say his names. I said, if, if this guy, we'll call him Joe, if Joe looks more like the God you serve than I do, I don't want to know his God. Now, here's my question. Does it, can anyone say that about us? If, they, if, they, if you are telling them about Christ and they look at your life and they see all this sin everywhere and they're not willing to repent of it, not willing to turn from it, not willing to have a love for God but a love for money and a love for the things of this world, or would they look at our life and say, I don't want to have anything to do with your God because your God looks horrible. Now, to an extent, we're all sinners, right? We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But when, when we come to Christ... You're made a new creature. God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is repairing the image of God in you. As, as Christians, we are to be to bear his image. And that our work, our works being more holy to point to point to his holiness. Our love being more pure points to his love. Our forgiveness being more complete points to the gospel. And our hatred for sin points to his anger towards it. What, what you do speaks and points people to 
or away from God. Now, let me be clear. You cannot simply live a good life for God without telling people about God. If you do that, they glorify you. They think you're a good person. But if you tell them the reason you are different, the reason you live as soldiers and exiles in this world, the reason you're willing to live as an exile is because you have a God whom you love and serve, then that will point them to God. Let your life point you to God. As we conclude, I have four, four things for us to remember. First, Remember your standing. No matter what you do, no matter what sin you're living in, if you are his, you are his child. You are covered by his blood. You are made clean. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people for God's own possession. Second, remember your calling. You are not just saved to sit here. You were saved to go and to tell people about the glory, the glory of God that you know. You were saved so that we could bring more people into the chosen family of God. Third, remember your purpose. Remember your purpose. You are, are not only are you called to go out, but you're called to be a, a royal priesthood. You're called to bring him glory in everything you do. Not just here, not just when you're telling people about God, but everything you do is meant to point to God's glory. And finally, remember your enemy. The Bible gives us three. The unholy trinity was revealed in, in, a, in Ephesians chapter 2. It's the flesh, the world, and Satan. The enemy is out there. The enemy is those that will take you and try and hold you away from Christ. The enemy is the one that will try and quell the spirit within you. Don't allow it to win. Submit to Christ this morning. Submit to him and win the victory through our Lord and Savior, who has called us to be a royal priest and a holy nation and a people for his own possession. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God who loves us and has called us for your good has called us to serve you, has called us to point to you, has called us to be your ambassadors. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room that has not submitted to you, that they would do so now. They would cling to you, they would come to you, and they would, they would seek your goodness and your mercy, that it would be showered upon them. Father, I pray that if there's any sin in our hearts and our lives, that you would help us repent, and you would help us turn to you. But it's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.